Section 9 of According to Promise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Waiter. According to Promise by Charles Spurgeon. Section 9. The Promise of God a reality. Surely it is a wonderful thing that the eternal God should make promises to his own creatures. Before he pledged his word, he was free to do as it pleased him. But after he has made a promise, his truth and honor bind him to do as he has said. To him, indeed, this is no limiting of his liberty. For the promise is always the declaration of his sovereign will and good pleasure, and it is ever his delight to act according to his word. Yet is it marvelous condescension for the free spirit of the Lord to form for itself covenant bonds. Yet he hath done so. The Lord has made a covenant of grace with men, in which he has confirmed his promises not only by pledging his word, but by giving his oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. In that covenant there are promises many and precious, all confirmed in Christ Jesus and established forever upon the foundation of divine truthfulness. This is our hope, even as Paul wrote to Titus, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God has promised, and on the faithfulness of that promise we build our confidence for time and for eternity. We think it no imprudent thing to rest our soul's salvation upon the promise of our faithful Creator. To help us so to trust, the promises were not only spoken, but written. Men say they like to have an agreement in black and white, and we have it so in this case. In the volume of the book it is written, In the page of inspiration the record stands. And as we believe our Bibles, we are bound to rely upon the promises contained therein. It is a cause of much weakness to many that they do not treat the promises of God as realities. If a friend makes them a promise, they regard it as a substantial thing, and look for that which it secures. But the declarations of God are often viewed as so many words which mean very little. This is most dishonoring to the Lord, and very injurious to ourselves. Rest assured that the Lord never trifles with words. Hath he said, and will he not do it? His engagements are always kept. David said of the Lord's promises to him, Yet hast thou made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. 
God speaks deliberately, in due order and determination, and we may depend upon it that His words are sure, and will be fulfilled as certainly as they are uttered. Have any who have trusted in the Lord been confounded? Can an instance be found in which our God has been false to His word? The ages cannot produce a single proof that the promise-making Jehovah has run back from that which he has spoken. We admire fidelity in men, and we cannot imagine it to be absent from the character of God. And therefore we may safely reckon upon his being as good as his word. It is said of Blucher that when he was marching to help Wellington at Waterloo, his troops faltered. It can't be done, said they. It must be done, was his answer. I have promised to be there. Promise, do you hear? You would not have me break my word. He was at Waterloo to good purpose. He would not be hindered, for his promise was given. We praise such faithfulness. We should think a little of one who did not exhibit it. Shall the Lord God Almighty fail in his promise? No, he will move heaven and earth and shake the universe rather than behind hand with his word. He seems to say it must be done. I have promised, promised, do you hear? Sooner than his promise should fail, he spared not his own son. Better Jesus die than the word of the Lord be broken. I say again, depend upon it. The Lord means what he says, and will make good every syllable. Yet none but the chosen seed will believe him. Reader, will you? God must be true. Whoever else may deceive, if all the truth in the whole world could be gathered together, it would be but as a drop in the bucket compared with the truthfulness of God. The veracity of the most just of men is vanity itself compared with the sure truth of God. The faithfulness of the most upright of men is as vapor, but the faithfulness of God is a rock. If we trust in good men, we ought infinitely more to trust in the good God. Why does it seem a singular thing to rest on the promise of God? Somehow, it looks to many to be a dreamy, sentimental, mystical business, and yet, if we view it calmly, it is the most matter-of-fact transaction that can be. God is real. All else is shadowy. He is certain. All else is questionable. He must keep his word, and this is an absolute necessity. How else could he be God? To believe God should be an act of the mind which needs no effort. Even if difficulties could be suggested, the simple and pure in heart should spontaneously say, Let God be true, and every man a liar. To give God less than implicit faith is to rob him of an honor justly due to his spotless holiness. Our duty to God demands that we accept His promise and act upon it. 
every honest man has a right to credence, and much more does the God of truth deserve it. We ought to treat the promise as in itself the substance of the thing promised. Just as we look upon a man's check or note of hand as an actual payment, promises to pay are passed from hand to hand in daily business as if they were current money of the merchant, and God's promises should be regarded in the same light. Let us believe that we have the petitions which we have asked of him. He warrants our so doing and promises to reward such faith. Let us regard the promise as a thing so sure and certain that we act upon it and make it to be a chief figure in all our calculations. The Lord promises eternal life to those who believe in Jesus. Therefore, if we really believe in Jesus, let us conclude that we have eternal life and rejoice in the great privilege. The promise of God is our best ground of assurance. It is far more sure than dreams and visions and fancied revelations, and it is far more to be trusted than feelings, either of joy or sorrow. It is written, He that believeth in him is not condemned. I believe in Jesus, therefore I am not condemned. This is good reasoning, and the conclusion is certain. If God has said so, it is so, beyond all doubt. Nothing can be more certain than that which is declared by God Himself, nothing more sure to happen than that which He has guaranteed by His own hand and seal. When a soul is under conviction, it perceives the threatenings of the Lord with an intensity of belief which is very noticeable, since its awe-stricken faith breeds within the heart overwhelming terror and dismay. Why should not the promises be accepted with a similar realization? Why not accepted with the same certainty? If it be made true in the conscience that he that believeth not shall be damned, it may be accepted with equal assurance that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, since the latter is as much the word of God as the former. The tendency of the awakened mind is to dwell upon the dark side of God's word, and feel the full force of it, and at the same time neglect the brighter portion of the record, and cast a doubt upon it, as though it were too good to be true. This is folly. Every blessing is too good for us to receive if we measure it by our unworthiness. But no blessing is too good for God to give if we judge of it by His surpassing excellence. It is after the nature of God of love to give boundless blessing. If Alexander gave like a king, shall not Jehovah give like God? We have sometimes heard persons say, as sure as death, we suggest that we might as fitly say, as sure as life. Gracious things are as sure as terrible things in righteousness. Whosoever believeth in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It must be so, 
for God's word hath said it, and there can be no mistake about it. Yes, the Lord means what he says. He never mocks men with barren words and empty sounds. Why should he deceive his creatures and ask from them a barren confidence? The Lord may go beyond his word in giving more than it might be thought to mean, but he can never fall short of it. We may interpret his promises upon the most liberal scale. He never falls below the largest rendering which expectation can give to the promise. Faith never yet outstripped the bounty of the Lord. Let us embrace the promise and rejoice that it is substance and not shadow. Let us even now rejoice in it as being the reality of that for which we are hoping. End of section 9. According to Promise. Recording by Bill Waiter, Mesa, Arizona.